We are back in the Gospel of Luke. As my son asked last night, Dad, are we finally going to get back to Luke? I said, yes. Stop complaining. No whining. All right. But we're back here in Luke uh, 16. And as you turn there, let me just kind of, uh, for those of you who are are Washington residents that live here in the city of Washington, uh, you may have heard me mention this or seen me mention this before, but uh, tomorrow our city council votes on whether or not to allow gambling. Right now, gambling is illegal in the city of Washington, but they're voting tomorrow on uh, altering that ordinance. And I would just encourage those of you, if you have the conviction that uh, that this type of gambling would be lifting an ordinance allowing video gambling, which uh, I would argue is a especially predatory form of gambling. It exploits those who are the weakest members in our society, according to statistics on who plays and, and uh, most uh, there's more details on, um, if you go to our church website, there's a link to a blog that I've kind of written an article on, on some of these things. And so I, I just encourage you, if you would agree with that conviction, that this is not an appropriate way for a, a city to garner revenues on the backs of those who are the weakest in our society, I would just encourage you to contact, if you're a Washington resident, your, your city council in a very loving and respectful way. These these men and women do a, a great job of service to our community. They've, they've done a, this is a, a great town, a great community, as are the other communities in this area, and we would just hope that God's grace would continue to be bestowed on us as we uh, treat people in our community rightly, which I believe includes treating the poor among us in an appropriate fashion, and I believe this violates that, that principle. And so uh, there's links on our, our, web, our website to this article, and that article has links on how you can contact those people, and if you do so again, please do so in a very gracious and grateful way to to these men and women. And those of you who are in other smaller communities, uh, you're also facing this issue, and so I encourage you to contact your city council. This this ban, uh, the Illinois state legislator allowed the ban on gambling to be lifted in uh, in terms of video uh, gaming, and so there's other communities that are facing this issue as well. And so find out what what the status is in your community. Well, I, I hope you're there at Luke 16 now. And so if you would uh, stand in honor of God as we read his word together, we're beginning in verse 14 to kind of get the context, and we'll be looking at verse 18 in particular this morning and reading from the English Standard Version. Verse 14, the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and they ridiculed him, that's Jesus. And he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached, and everyone forces his way into it. But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. And then we come to verse 18. Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And he who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. May God encourage us through his word this morning. You may be seated. Maybe you be strengthened and encouraged no matter what your your circumstances are this morning. And let's let's pray that God would continue to bless our our time of worship. And and fathers, we come to this this issue of of divorce and remarriage. We know that it's an issue that that affects so many of us. And so we pray that your grace would be upon us. We pray that our hearts would be soft to hear what your word says. We we pray that our, our hearts would be encouraged not as we think about what lies behind us, but as we think about the hope of obedience to you in the future. And we pray that you would just help uh, us to be very gracious as we share some some difficult truths from your word this morning. And I pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. There's a few things that I want us to, to think about as we begin to look at this issue of divorce and remarriage here in Luke 16, verse 18. The first thing that I want us to consider is is the issue of authority and what is going to be our our source of authority as we try to tackle an issue that's as complex as divorce and remarriage. I was, over the last few weeks, you know, we've been talking about some difficult subjects and we began four weeks ago to look at verses 14 through 17 of Luke chapter 16. And verses 14 through 17, Jesus condemns the Pharisees because they're trying to justify their behavior before men. They've committed themselves to live in a way that's 
disobedient to God and his word, and they instead live in a way that is contrary to that word, but they justify themselves by, by reinterpreting Scripture so that their conduct is in line with their interpretation of Scripture as they violate Scripture. The last three weeks, we've been talking about God's standard for marriage, what God's design for marriage and sexuality is, and then we've talked about ways that we deviate from that. And as we come to the issue of, of divorce and remarriage this morning, our, our tendency can be to, to look at our experience and, as our authority instead of God's word. In fact, last week, we talked about homosexuality, and we talked about God's desire for us in terms of our sexuality and how homosexuality violates God's standard for marriage and for the appropriate sphere of sexuality. A friend of mine uh, sent me an email this week with a link to an article by a man named Luke Timothy Johnson, and uh, Johnson is a uh, pro-homosexual uh, Roman Catholic scholar, and he, he writes a very interesting article about his source of authority. He say, well, how can a person uh, combine their understanding of the church with this understanding of homosexuality, and, and he's very, uh, very upfront. He says this, he says, I think it's important to state clearly that we do, that's those of us who advocate homosexuality in the church, we, in fact, reject the straightforward commands of Scripture and appeal instead to another authority when we declare that same-sex unions can be holy and good. And what exactly is that authority, he asks? We appeal explicitly to the weight of our own experience and the experience thousands of others have witnessed to, which tells us that to claim our own sexual orientation is, in fact, to accept the way in which God has created us. <clears throat> and in one sense, I, I appreciate his honesty here, right? He says, okay, look, we have to be honest, intellectually honest. Scripture says that what we're doing is wrong. So we need some other authority that supersedes Scripture, and that authority is our experience. And as we look at our experience and we conduct ourselves in this way, we say, boy, this, this seems good to us. Therefore, this authority is higher than Scripture, and we interpret Scripture in light of the authority of our experience. So the first thing I want to encourage you with as we turn to the issue of divorce and remarriage is that we must commit to having Scripture be our authority. So easy it's so easy at times to look at the experiences of our friends or to look at the experiences of our family members or to look at our own experiences and say, boy, based upon my experience, what God's Word says about divorce doesn't seem to be true. And yet, our call by God is to look at His Word and not be like the Pharisees who try to justify ourselves and our conduct, but to say, what does God's Word say to us about this issue of divorce? Another word of encouragement that I offer to us as we, we turn our attention to, to verse 18 is to not get too focused on the exception clauses. Sometimes when we come to the issue of divorce and, and remarriage, the first thing that people want to talk about is, okay, what are the exceptions? We come to verse 18, and you look at Luke 16, 18, and, and you'll notice in verse 18 there are no exceptions. That's not an issue Jesus gets into. It's clear. Look, if you divorce and remarry, you commit adultery. If you marry someone who's divorced, you're committing adultery as well. So he's not delving into the exceptions. I've mentioned before kind of a struggle that exists in the, the Bennett household, a, a war, if you will, between the parents and the children, our, our sweet, uh, godly uh, cherubs, our children. Um, and, and it's the issue of television, okay? And, and our, our children, uh, they, they enjoy watching television, as, as does their father, I suppose. But they... They want, to, they want to know how much TV they can watch. And so we, we thought, okay, here's what we're going to do for the summer. We're going to set some guidelines in place. And, and these guidelines will help our children who, who so desperately want to be obedient. It'll help them uh, be obedient in this area. And so we sat down and said, okay, here's six guidelines for television watching in our home. Okay, and you have 30 minutes a day, and here are the shows that you can watch, and here's what needs to be done before you can watch TV. And, and there may be some times where we watch more than 30 minutes a day, but, but you don't even have to ask us. It's a summer treat. Here are the okay, and I thought, great, fantastic. Well, our children begin to ask questions about the nuances of these regulations that would have made the Supreme Court decision this last week look easy, okay? They begin asking questions, okay, Dad, so, so what if I'm in the kitchen eating breakfast and my brother turns on the TV? Does that count as my time? 
uh, yeah. What if I turn around? I can hear it, but I'm not looking at it. Does that? What if I'm in the kitchen doing what you and mommy have told me to do? I'm cleaning the dishes, and I look over, and there's the TV on. Or, or what if I hear a siren on the television, and I want to make sure it's not a police car in our living room? Or what if a robber comes into our home, straps me to a chair in front of the TV, and props open my eyes? Does that count as my TV time? Yes. You see, the, now, my, I'm sure my children's hearts are, are, are pure in this issue, but you see that our tendency is to, okay, what are the exceptions? What are the ex- how do we get around the rule? As we talk about divorce and remarriage, what I want to convey to us is, is God's big picture and the, the overarching command, and that's marriage is a permanent covenantal relationship. Don't, don't divorce. That's, that's what we're going to be seeing this morning. One other thing I want to say before we, we dive into this topic, and that's that I know that there are people in this room who have been deeply affected by divorce. And I know this may be a, a very hard conversation for us this morning. And so what I want to do is just affirm, no matter where you are, you, maybe you're a child of a, a family in which divorce has taken place. Uh, maybe you've seen your children have to go through the pain of divorce. Maybe some friends, some extended family members. Maybe you've experienced divorce. Maybe you've even been the instigating party in an unbiblical divorce. What I want to convey to you is that, that God's grace is sufficient for every situation. And as we take a very firm line, a very, I believe a very biblical line about the appropriateness of divorce or the inappropriateness of divorce, I, I hope that you, you see God's grace in all this as well. That we say these things, one sinner to other sinners who are all dependent upon the grace of God, right? Here's what we're going to do, uh, Lord willing. I want us to look at verse 18 and just kind of make some observations about this verse. And then after we make the observations about what's taking place here in verse 18, I'm going to give some principles. So let's, let's look at verse 18. Let me read it one more time. It says, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And, and he who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. So let me just kind of draw out a couple things from this verse. First of all, notice who he's talking to. He's talking to the Pharisees. And as the Pharisees are listening to Jesus speak, what's going on in their minds? Let's let's take one of the Pharisees over here to the side. His name Zacharias or something. And and, uh, as he hears Jesus speak these words, what's going on in his mind? Well, one of the things he would have been thinking about is Deuteronomy 24. In fact, keep your fingers there in Luke 16 and, and turn back to the book of Deuteronomy, fifth book of the Bible. Deuteronomy 24 is, is where Moses discusses divorce, and he says some things about divorce in verses 1 through 4 that Jewish thought over the next 1,500 years till Jesus' time would have, would have wrestled with. Verse 1, Moses says, this is Deuteronomy 24, verse 1, when a man takes a wife and marries her, if the, then she finds no favor in his eyes because he's found some indecency in her. And he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house and, and she departs out of his house. And, and if she goes and becomes another man's wife and the latter man hates her and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and, and sends her out of his house. Or if the latter man dies who took her to be his wife, then the former husband who sent her away may not take her again to be his wife after she has been defiled. For that is an abomination before the Lord and you shall not bring sin upon the land that the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance. And so that became the regulations concerning divorce for the people of Israel. And over the next 1,500 years, the, the Israelites wrestled with, okay, what exactly is God saying here? And the, the 100 years previous to Jesus, kind of several schools of thought developed. Now, before we talk about those interpretations, notice, though, what the text actually says. The text is not condoning divorce. It's not saying that the divorce is a good thing. What it's doing is it's narrowing the circumstances in which divorce can take place. It's providing some protection, especially for the wife of the person who is, who is deciding to divorce her. It's creating a legal process. There has to be some sort of public declaration. There has to be a, a legal process in which she has a certificate that assures her of her new status as a single person that allows her to, to find a safety in the community. There's, there's some regulations that Moses puts upon this practice of divorce in order to narrow, narrow its application. So the Israelites struggle with how to, to, to interpret that, and in the hundred years or so previous to Jesus, kind of two schools of thought begin to develop, or several schools of thought, but maybe two major schools of thought. 
One school of thought took a very conservative approach to divorce. This school of thought said the only times that are permissible for divorce are whenever the wife has committed adultery or some sort of immorality. That's, that's what it means here in Deuteronomy 24 when it says there's some indecency in her. And so they took a very conservative stance toward divorce. The other major school of thought became much more liberal, and they took this verse and they said, well, you know, it says that she doesn't find favor in his eyes. And so maybe, some person said, maybe that means, you know, even if she burns his dinner, they literally said if she burns his dinner, he can divorce her. If, If she talks too loud in the house, she can be divorced. Or when it says favor in his eyes, maybe that means if he finds someone who is prettier than she is, he can get divorced. And so they took a very liberal attitude toward divorce. And so as the Pharisees think about divorce, there, is these, there are these different competing schools of thought in their minds involving when a person can get divorced. You see this, we'll look at this passage later, but in Matthew 19, that's why the Pharisees come to Jesus and they're, they're testing him and say, Jesus is lawful for a person to get divorced for any circumstance whatsoever. That's one thing I want you to notice here about, you can go back to Luke 16, that's one thing I want you to notice about verse 18, is that, uh, first of all, remember the audience, it's to these Pharisees who had interpreted, interpreted divorce, uh, some very conservatively, some very liberally. Another thing to notice about verse 18 here is that divorce and remarriage are, are linked together. A person who divorces his wife is assumed will, will marry another. A person who's, who's marrying a woman or a woman who's been divorced is assumed that she also will remarry. Uh, notice this also about the verse. There is a, a divine obligation that's placed upon a person when they take a marriage vow that's not nullified by civil law. In other words, a person can't say, well, I've got this magic piece of paper that the state gave me or that the, the legal authorities gave me, and, and therefore I have freedom to, to enter into a, another marriage. No, Jesus says, look, even a person who's gone through the legal process and obtained a divorce, even that person who engages in another marriage, as they uh, consummate that marriage, that's an act of adultery because they're violating the covenant that they originally made. Notice also in this verse, we see that a a person can't just be a conscientious objector. They can't say, well, that person got a divorce, but it didn't really affect me. I didn't make that decision, and so I can marry them. No, Jesus says, as you enter into a marriage relationship with a person who's who's been divorced, we're going to talk about the exceptions later, but as you enter into that relationship, you commit adultery as well, potentially. That's what we see here in verse 18. In other words, in this verse, to summarize, there's a clear principle. Marriage creates a covenantal bond between two people that is to be permanent, and divorce and remarriage violates that covenant. Now, let's talk about five principles about marriage that help us apply verse 18 in our lives. And I'm going to give a a principle for five different groups of people, okay? So each of these points is directed at uh, different people within this room. Uh, The first principle that I want you to consider, this one is to those of you who are not married yet, okay? Young people, those of you who are still single, those of you who are older and single, uh, this is for you, okay? Principle number one, uh, marriage is a permanent covenantal relationship don't divorce, okay? Those of you who are young, those of you who are older, those of you who are whatever age and who are single, the the, the principle is the same. Marriage is to be a permanent covenantal relationship, don't divorce. And I believe that this is an important thing for you to grasp before you enter into marriage. As you enter into a marriage relationship, this is not a, a, we'll see how it goes, give it the old college try. This is a covenantal relationship that's to be permanent. Whenever I get involved with premarital counseling, uh, there's a lot of questions that I, that I ask a couple in order to, to help me, me have confidence that they understand this principle, okay? And no matter how well you think you know the person that you're marrying, uh, you don't know them well enough to know how this commitment is going to go. I remember whenever Whitney and I uh, were, were 
dating. We were very young, and, and I was very stupid. And, and I, I, I thought that, you know, I knew everything there was to know about my, my beautiful bride. And, and God was very gracious to me, and, and he allowed some other people around me to, to tell me what a, what a great decision that I was making. But, you know, if there had been other people around me who were telling me, though, this is a, this is a, this is a bad idea, I don't think I would have necessarily understood what they were saying, right? And I think that's sometimes what happens to young people. But young people, I, I would tell you, you especially, as you begin dating relationships, as you begin pursuing courting people, uh, listen to those who are around you who love you as they give you wisdom about this relationship because for you, we've talked about this before, so we're not going to dwell on it too much, marriage is a permanent covenantal relationship. Don't divorce. It's not an option. Okay. Now, here's the second principle, and the second principle is to those of you who are in marriage already and, and you're struggling in marriage. Okay. This is for you. This is a principle for you. Marriage is a permanent covenantal relationship. Don't divorce. Okay. Now, see, see, some of you see what I'm saying? Some of you entered into marriage, you're like, yep, 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 I agree, I agree. Don't divorce, don't divorce. Divorce is bad. You get into marriage. Wow, this is really bad. And I know that there's this principle about not divorcing, but ha, huh, this this is a struggle. And my circumstances are such that I don't know if, if God had this in mind when he said, don't divorce. This is one of the, the, the biggest struggles for me in ministry is, is talking to people who are in this situation. It, it, it just, my, my heart aches as I consider some of the tough circumstances that people are in. And I find that very often we come to a point where I'm not able to convince them the truth of God's word applies to their particular circumstance. So maybe I'm going to catch some of you early enough in the process to where I can convince you that God's word tells you that divorce is, is not to be what you pursue. Let me just share a couple thoughts, and, and Kent and I uh, talked about some of these thoughts. Uh, Pastor Kent and I talked about some of these thoughts regarding those who are struggling in marriage. Here's some things that may help you as you think about, well, is, is this true for me? Is, is not divorcing what I need to consider? couple thoughts. One, know this. Know that God hates divorce. Malachi 2.16, God hates divorce. Number two, understand that, that divorce opposes God's call to sacrificially love. Remember what we read in Philippians chapter 2. In Philippians chapter 2, we're, we're called to emulate Jesus Christ. It says, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Okay? Now, as we think about the marriage relationship, our, our job, our responsibility before God in our marriage relationship is to consider the other person more important than ourselves. And to seek a divorce violates that, that principle. Also understand this, thirdly, as you think about reasons not to get divorced, uh, God, God commands us to peace and reconciliation with believers. God calls us to have peace and to pursue reconciliation with believers. For example, Galatians chapter 3 verse 28 says that there's neither Jew nor Greek neither slave nor free, there's no male and female, you're all one in Christ Jesus. And for those of us who have professed faith in Jesus Christ, what we're saying is there's a, a oneness that exists with, with me and other believers. And if that's supposed to be true in the church, how much more true should that be in a marriage? And as we pursue divorce, what we're saying is uh, that that oneness that God calls me to, I'm rejecting. Romans 12, verse 16 says to live in harmony with one another. Live in harmony with one another. 1 Corinthians 6, beginning of verse 5, Paul says, I say this to your shame. Can it be that there's no one among you who's wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers, but brother goes uh, to law against brother, and that before unbelievers. And so that's what happens in a divorce as well. There's a dispute, there's a, a lack of ability to reconcile, and so two people who might profess to be believers go to unbelievers and say, we can't reconcile. Divorce violates that principle that God calls us to oneness. God 
also, I believe, opposes divorce because, and this is a hard one to say, this is hard to say, but God uses difficulty in your life to grow you. You say, Daniel, you don't understand how tough my marriage is, and you're right. I, I don't understand the same way that you understand it. But I, I, I can say this with confidence. God is using the difficulty in your life to sanctify you and make you more like his son, Jesus Christ. I don't remember exactly who this was, but many years ago, someone came to me in, at, when I was on staff at the, uh, the other Bethany and sat down in my office and she told me just how, how bleak her life was at this point. She said, I, I'm suffering with, with depression that I, I can't even fathom. And she says, she told me, as I've gone through this depression, um, what's resulted is, is I've, I've been seeking out God and his word like I never have in my life before. She said, I, I've been coming to church and just crying out to God that, that he would that he would uh, be near me and that I would understand him more. And she says, I, I'm learning about his character. I'm, I'm learning about all these things, and, and uh, I'm, I'm trusting him more than I've trusted him before. But, but boy, how I wish this would go away. And, and I told her, I said, boy, you know, uh, you're saying most depressing time in your life like it's a bad thing. <laughs> And I'm sure it feels that way, but as I hear you and, and about how you're responding to this, I, I pointed her to Psalm uh, 18.6. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. From his temple, he heard my voice, and my cry reached uh, his ears. And I, I, thought, I told her, I said, boy, as I hear what you're going through, I, I'm sorry that you're, I, I feel uh, sorrow that you're going through this, but at the same time, I'm rejoicing because maybe you can't see this, but someone on the outside can see how this is sanctifying you and, and making you more like Jesus Christ, which is our ultimate goal, right? This momentary light affliction is, is nothing compared with the glories to follow. Some of you are in a marriage and you say, boy, this is tough, this is unpleasant, this is suffering, and I say, that's I feel sorrow that you're going through that, and yet at the same time, I know this is God's purpose for you right now. Divorce promises joy, but it's a lie. Divorce makes us subject to God's discipline. Pursuing divorce forces the church to conclude that you're not a believer. Place you upon church, uh, church to place you in line of the church trying to to shepherd you to repentance. That's my word to those of you who are struggling in marriage, that marriage is a permanent covenantal relationship to don't divorce. Third principle, and this is to those of you who have already made the decision to leave your marriage, okay? Here's, here's the principle for you. Uh, marriage is a permanent covenantal relationship. Don't divorce. If you want to fill in those last two blanks at this point, it's a good bet as to what's coming next, right? But even, even the, some people who say, okay, I, I know as they enter into marriage that, that divorce is wrong, and some people get into a, a marriage relationship and they struggle and say, okay, I, I know it's wrong. And, and then sometimes people come to this point where their hearts say, you know what, I, I, don't, I don't agree even though Scripture says this, I don't agree that it applies in my circumstance. I, I can go through all the reasons with them, and they say, look, I, I know that all those things that you are saying are, are, are true, and yet I can't believe that's God's will for my life. And they appeal to this, this, uh, this ultimate authority, the, the authority of their experience, or our, I call it God's happiness principle, and, and their belief is that God's highest purpose in life is their happiness. And they say, look, this obedience in this area violates the happiness principle. God exists to make me happy. I'm not happy in this marriage. Surely, God who loves me wouldn't want me to continue in this marriage. When they say that, I, I take them to Malachi chapter 2. And if you want to turn there with me, Malachi chapter 2 is the last book in the Old Testament. And I believe Malachi chapter 2 was written to our culture when it comes to the issue of divorce. In Malachi chapter 2, he's talking about how his people have profaned the, the marriage covenant. And in verse 13, 
of Malachi chapter 2, right before the book of Matthew, he says, look, here's the second thing you do. You cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But, but you say, why does he not? Why are we not experiencing God's favor? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one with the portion of the, of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking, godly offspring? So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. Do you know this? Divorce promises joy, but it's a lie. Divorce destroys a marriage, a one-flesh relationship, and it brings violence upon your children. Verse 17, and this is, this is a kicker. Listen to this. This is, this is to people who are pursuing divorce. You have wearied the Lord with your words. All your self-justification, all, all the principles that you're trying to throw out there about why God would want this. But you say, how have we wearied him? By saying everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord and he delights in them. To those of you who have committed to pursue divorce in your hearts, understand this. To say that God delights in that is to lie to yourselves and betray the true character of God. God does not delight in me as I pursue evil. God does not delight in you as you decide to pursue evil. What we see in God's word is that the primary purpose, the primary purpose in your marriage is not God's primary purpose in your marriage is not to fulfill your arbitrary definition of happiness, but God's primary purpose in your marriage is to satisfy you as you pursue oneness in him. Fourth thing that I want to share with you this morning, and this, this principle is to those of you who have been sinned against in a marriage. This is to those of you who have been sinned against grievously in a, in a marriage, and, and, here's, here's the, and, and perhaps this is to even those to you who have been abandoned by a spouse, divorce has been forced upon you, or, or divorce is about to be forced upon you, this isn't something you're pursuing. This is my encouragement to you. Marriage is a permanent covenantal relationship. Don't divorce. And the reason I say that to you is because I, I want to talk about the exceptions that Scripture mentions but as I, I say that, I want you to make sure that, that what I'm saying is that this is to people to whom divorce is forced upon them, not people who are pursuing divorce themselves. Do you see the distinction? This is to people who, who through the conduct of their spouse, ha have no other alternative except divorce because of the conduct of their spouse. Now, also, as I get into this area, let me just acknowledge uh, this is tough. Okay, this is tr some tricky stuff. And some of the things that I, I'm sharing with you this morning are, are my convictions, not necessarily the convictions of, of all the leaders at, at Bethany Community Church, all the elders. We've been kind of wrestling with some of the nuances here, and, and what I'm sharing with you this morning are, are my convictions on divorce and, and on remarriage, and uh, not necessarily everyone's. Although we're in, in agreement on, on most areas, there's some things that I'm going to say that, that perhaps... Uh, others would, would nuance differently or say differently. Um, so this is to those of you who have uh, been sinned against in a marriage. And, and my belief is this. My belief is that, that Scripture warns us against uh, absolutism. Uh, scripture warns us against using principles in Scripture in a way that, that uh, harms people. And I believe that sometimes, as we come to this issue of divorce and remarriage, we, we find in Scripture that, that God says some things in order to, to protect people against the abuses of others. We see that people are not less important than the law, 
Rather, the law exists to, to bless people, not to be some sort of legalistic, uh, legalistic requirement that makes people's lives more difficult. And I say this and encourage those of you who are in tough marriages to not grow weary of doing good, but, but here are the two exceptions that we find in Scripture that I believe regarding divorce. And I believe in these circumstances, a person can divorce or be divorced and remarry without violating Luke 16, 18. Turn to Matthew 19, if you would. This is the first exception that we see in Scripture. It's, it's also in Matthew chapter 5, but in Matthew we find the first instance of, of an exception in, in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 19, and, and I, want to note, I want you to notice the, the context in which it occurs as well. Matthew 19, Jesus has been saying these things, and some Pharisees come up to him and say, well, hold on. Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And what they're trying to do is force him to take stands in this, this rabbinical debate that I mentioned earlier. And he answers, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and, and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What God therefore has joined together, let not man separate. Do you notice the exception there? No, you don't, because he hasn't said it yet. That's the, that's the overarching principle. In fact, in, in Mark and in Luke, Jesus just says, look, don't get divorced, don't get divorced. Now, the Pharisees press him. Their hard hearts uh, want to know about the outs. Where's the line? They said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and, and to send her away? Now, sometimes... Even in asking the question about where the line is, it reveals where one's heart is. Imagine if you went, imagine if you went to a banker and you said, okay, what are the terms of this loan? Well, here, you know, pay on this date, da-da-da. Okay, so uh, just a question, just for clarification, what happens if I don't pay? Okay, what happens if I just pay every other month? Okay, just, just curious, uh, what if I declare bankruptcy? Can you still go after? I'm just curious, just trying to find out. At some point, the banker would go, hold on, uh, Let's rethink this loan. Your, your questions kind of concern me. Or imagine you're getting interviewed by an employer and you said, hey, I just, just one question. Uh, where's the line on harassment? Just, just curious. I like to have some fun sometimes. Want to know where the line is, right? Your employer would go, hold on, well, huh? <laughs> That's a warning sign that your heart is not in a good place. Sometimes when it comes to the issue of divorce, as we see this, this gravitation, now where's the out? Yeah, I'm really excited about marrying you. Now, now uh, just, just so we're clear, here's the situations in which we can get divorced. It reveals a heart that doesn't understand God's overarching principle that marriage is a permanent covenantal relationship. Don't divorce. The Pharisees are pursuing it. Now, hold on. What about this certificate of divorce? And Jesus said to them, verse 8, he said to them, because of your hardness of heart. In other words, any time a divorce takes place, it's because someone's heart has been hardened. Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. This was not God's intended order, and that's why we began talking about the biblical foundation of marriage three weeks ago. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. So there's, you see in verse 9, that exception, that word, that phrase, sexual immorality. The word in the Greek is porneia refers to, to immorality. Now, this word, uh, porneia, or that we see translated here, sexual immorality, has been described by various teachers in various ways. Now, understand this. If, if you don't like what I say this morning, you're going to be able to find an authority somewhere else that, that agrees with whatever it is that you want to say. But I'd encourage you to look at what God's Word says and study what Jesus says here very carefully. Some people have just said, well, this is describing uh, just immorality in general. So if a person does anything immoral, uh, even looks upon another person with lust or, or just has an immoral thought in their heart, any sort of immorality, then, then I can divorce them. Or some people say, well, Jesus was just referring to the Levitical code here, the Levitical laws regarding incest from uh, Leviticus, from Leviticus uh, 19. 
18, from Leviticus 18, or some people say, well, this is referring to uh, the time before marriage, some sort of premarital unfaithfulness, or some people say it's, it's spiritual harlotry. Now, I believe that all those definitions are, are, some of them are too narrow in terms of what Jesus is talking about, and some of them obviously about immorality are, are just too broad. What this word means, I believe, in this context is, is consummated adultery. In other words, a person who's pursued adultery, not just in their heart, but actually in the physical act of adultery. And I believe that for several reasons. First of all, based upon the context here. Secondly, because often this, this term, porneia, is used as a synonym for adultery. Example, Hosea 2.4 describes the, the adultery of, of a wife. In fact, this word porneia is very interesting. It's the word, there's other words that, that are used to describe adultery, but this word to describe adultery is often used of, of the female, of the wife. And so you see this in the, the Greek Old Testament used in Hosea 1-2, Hosea 2-2, Proverbs 6-26. And so the reason Jesus may have been using this, this word for adultery in verse 9 is because he's talking about a wife. He's saying this wife who, who commits sexual immorality is uh, there's, there's, there's reason in that case to divorce her. And it's not just consummated adultery once, it would appear, but as you think about the context from the book of Hosea, it's, it's a, a spouse who's committed to pursuing a path of sexual immorality. That's the situation in which divorce is unavoidable. You can't, allow, you can't uh, persuade the other person to cease that activity. They're committed to this lifestyle of immorality, of this lifestyle of adultery. And so in that circumstance, a, a certificate of divorce, a divorce is a protection for the wronged party. And so I tell you, even in that exception, what's the principle? Marriage is a permanent covenantal relationship. Don't divorce. And as you pursue that marriage, your spouse is pursuing something else. And despite your attempts at reconciliation, despite your attempts at opening your arms wide to welcome them back, they refuse, and so divorce, I believe, in that circumstance, is permissible, and as is remarriage. And I believe that remarriage is permissible because throughout these texts, we see mar- divorce and remarriage used as, as part of one act. In fact, here in verse 18 of Luke 16, there's, it, grammatically, you see this remarriage and divorce is all part of the, the same action. And the purpose of a divorce was to allow a person to get remarried. The second uh, the second situation in which a person is provided for to remarry after a divorce is from 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and, and this is the issue of abandonment. There's, this is a situation in which maybe there's not consummated adultery, but a person is b- married to a believer, and in this circumstance, the, they, they, they want nothing to do with the believer, and so they pursue this, this different they, they, they flee the marriage, basically. And so he says this in verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 7, To the rest I say, I not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who's an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband, then verse 15, but if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. And so in that circumstance, I believe that Paul is allowing a person to have a divorce, to be freed from that marriage relationship in which the other party has said, I'm not going to be married to you anymore. And in that case, remarriage is permissible. And that's my understanding here of what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 7. An out, again, we're talking about an outright refusal to continue to live with a person. We're not talking about emotional abandonment. We're not talking about threats to abandon. We're not talking about uh, emotional distress. We're talking about a person who makes a committed decision. I'm no longer going to live with you in a marriage relationship. That's who Paul is referring to here. The last word, last point that I'd make to those of you who are here this morning, and this, this is a word to those of you, to those of you who have pursued an unbiblical divorce, to those of you who have harmed others, my word to you would be that marriage is a permanent covenantal relationship. Don't divorce.
say, Daniel, why on earth would you say that to me? You're saying it to me, and I've already sinned in this area. Why would you bring this up again? Here's why. I want you to think about the truth of that statement and acknowledge it in your heart, not to bring up the past and cause you greater pain and and to, to, to have you wallow in guilt, but I want you to think about that statement in order for true repentance to take place. See, maybe there are some of you here this morning who who did pursue an unbiblical divorce or had an unbiblical divorce pursued against you. Maybe you're harboring bitterness from that. Maybe uh, as you you think about that time in your life, say, yeah, I made some mistakes or that was before I was a believer or or I was a believer but I was not walking with the Lord and and now I've, uh, that that was many, many years ago and now it's all in the past. And my encouragement to you would be, okay, that's great, but let's make sure that true repentance has taken place. And that it's not just one of those things that happens in life or, yeah, I'm kind of sorry that happened, but, but say, you know what, I've honestly come to the point where I recognize that that was sin and, and I'm, I'm tr- I've turned from it, I've, I've repented. I've sought forgiveness from the people that were harmed by my decision to pursue a divorce that wasn't in line with God's commandment to me. Paul in, in 2 Corinthians 7 talks about what true repentance look, looks like and Second Corinthians 7, verse 10, Paul says, Godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point you've proved yourselves innocent in the matter. Although I wrote to you, It was not for the sake of the one who did the wrong, nor for the sake of the one who suffered the wrong, but in order that your earnestness for us might be revealed to you in the sight of God. Therefore, we are comforted, Paul says. In other words, uh, true repentance bears fruit in keeping with repentance. And maybe you say, yeah, I've been very sorrowful. I've been very sad about what happened. And my encouragement to you is it's not just sorrow. It's a godly sorrow that produces true repentance that leads to life. So my encouragement to those of you who've sinned against others in divorce would be that you would seek God's forgiveness, that you would seek the forgiveness of those who you've wronged, and then putting the past beyond, behind you where you find yourself right now in life, that you would pursue godliness. I believe that God's word doesn't provide for a remarriage for those who have pursued an unbiblical divorce. And yet, at the same time, if a person who's divorced for unbiblical grounds gets remarried, maybe that's happened in the past as well. I, I don't believe God's call is to divorce again. I believe that God's call for you right now in your life, wherever you find yourself, is to live in obedience to him. And so I don't believe that a, a remarriage constitutes a, a perpetual state of adultery. I believe that that happened in the past. You can ask for forgiveness for that, and then you can pursue obedience in the marriage in which God has called you to be. Now, have I just raised up about a million questions in your mind? I'm sure I have. And the other elders would love for you (laughs) to email them. There's a lot of issues here, right? And you know why there's so many issues? You know why there's so many issues that we have to think through? Because people don't obey this instruction that God's Marriage relationships, a permanent covenant relationship, don't divorce. Sin, our hardness of heart, creates a myriad of situations and th- situations to think through. I- I'm not going to get into all those this morning, okay? We- we've-, we've touched the big ones, and, and I-, I trust God will help us as we think through specific applications to apply through. Again, for those of you who aren't married, understand that marriage is a permanent covenant relationship. For those of you who are in a struggling marriage, understand marriage is a permanent covenantal relationship. For those of you who have been sinned against, understand God's call for you is to live in a permanent covenantal relationship as far as you're able to. Don't divorce. For those of you who have already divorced, understand that was wrong. And pursue righteousness in whatever situation you find yourself in. If you're single right now, continue in singleness. If you're married right now, continue in that marriage, not, mista- not making the same mistakes you've made in the past. Let me close on a positive note, okay? Let's close on something positive. Why is divorce so wrong? Divorce is is so wrong because it it violates what marriage is supposed to be, right? 
Marriage is supposed to be, be what? It's supposed to be this, this picture of the relationship between Christ and his church. And so let's, let's close by looking at Ephesians 5 again and, and, and seeing what this, this marriage relationship is supposed to look like. Paul says to husbands, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and, and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she, the church, might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, because of that picture between Christ and the church and Christ's sacrificial love for the church, therefore, for that reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. That's God's call to all of us. Whether we're single, whether we're married, whether we're young, whether we're older, we look to the marriage relationships in the world and see a picture of Christ and the church, because every single one of us who is a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ is going to enter into a marriage relationship, a relationship that's like a marriage relationship, when we're joined with Christ for eternity. And that's our great hope. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the goodness of our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the opportunity be joined with you for eternity. And, and, and Father, my heart goes out to men and women, and, and especially women, Lord, who, who are in some very tough marriages, who are in marriages where, where their husband is not committed to you, their husband is not loving them. Father, we, we pray first for them. We pray that you'd give them the strength. We pray that you give them joy in you. And, and Father, I, I pray for the men who are in tough marriages where they're trying to, to love their wives and that love is just not being returned. I, I pray for strength for them. And Father, I pray for those who've been harmed by in their soul by pursuing an unbiblical divorce. I, I pray that you'd help them experience your love and your forgiveness. And Father, I pray for those who've been wronged against in marriage. Give them your grace, give them your strength, give them peace as they contemplate not the wrong done to them, but the great rightness and the great grace done to them in your son, by your son, Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name for your glory. Amen.